Stop doubting yourself. If someone's going so far as to give you an opportunity you did an interview for, they see something in you. I'll tie it back to Breakland somewhat. When you're entering a new career, when you're doing something you haven't done before and you don't feel like you have the confidence to do it because you don't have that direct experience, it's easy to doubt yourself. Look, you have what it takes. People see it in you. Opportunities, they don't, they don't hand them out like, hope you can do it, kid. No, it's, it's because they see you have the DNA or the similar like experience to be successful in that role. And so for me, it's really just get past the fear of doing something that feels new and take the opportunity. I use that fear, I turn that fear into a level of kind of excitement and fuel to get me as prepared as possible to go do that next thing. How we doing out there folks? This is your host with the most Kenny Vaughn, I play for Team Breakline, and I'm joined once again with my illustrious partner in crime. Kenny Vaughn, illustrious, I love it. What's up everybody, it is Sophia. I also play for Team Breakline, and thank you guys for joining us for another episode in the arena. And right before we get to today's conversation, I wanted to share a little five-star review that our dear friend Kenny Schumer Five stars, us. five stars, okay. The, it is titled, Wow, 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 Wow. And the review is, educational, entertaining, eye-opening. This pod has it all. Thank you, Breakline, job well done. Thank you, Kenny Shu. And if you would like to be featured on our next episode, please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. It helps us tremendously. Anywho's, Kenny, what are we here to talk about today? Ooh, man, you know I get excited about all these conversations, oh, but I know for it. this one in particular, oh my goodness. When I say my socks were knocked off from the beginning of the conversation until the end, this was just a phenomenal conversation. We had the opportunity to talk to the one, the only, Ronnie Johnson, Chief Information Officer of TIPCO. Mm -hmm. And for those of you, before we dive into what we talked about, for those of you who might not know TIPCO, they're actually a amazing company that unlocks the potential of real-time data, helping companies make faster and smarter business decisions. So as the Chief Information Officer, she is largely responsible for spearheading that effort. And it was just a phenomenal conversation. So, uh, Sophia, for you, what were your takeaways from this discussion? I mean, Ronnie is a genius. She is a prodigy. And she is a rock star, all wrapped up into one amazing package. Yes. I mean, she was 10 years old when she started taking her first college courses in computer science. Like, her mom would drop off little Ronnie at the community college so that she could go take computer science classes. <laughs> she has a track record of just achieving what, for so many people, is just, like, mm. out of this out of this world accomplishments. Facts. Um, we, were, we have been blown away by Ronnie. And at the same time, she is humble. She is curious. She is driven. She has all of the personality spikes that we love to, to see here at Breakline. So it was honestly an incredible conversation. I, you know what, I, I almost can't even top that because I just, more than, more than the title, more than the phenomenal work that she is doing to lead a tremendously complex portion of the organization, I was just impressed by her humility. 
Um, she, she just is so grounded. And I think what was encouraging about this conversation to me is whenever you ask her about the difficult things that she's been able to accomplish in her career, in her personal life, she just has this very calming way of saying that she's curious about things. And so if yeah. you, I'm no different than you. And that's mm-hmm. the takeaway that I got is, you know, to not make excuses, to go after the things that we want and, and, and tackle tough problems. And so to hear someone like her say that, it really resonated with me in a very powerful way. And I am inspired to be able to share this conversation with our community. So uh, on that note, Sophia, I'm not sure about you, but maybe we should give the listeners what they came here for. Y'all, hold on to your socks. Enjoy. We will see you guys on the other side. Ronnie, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for making the time. I'm so well. Thank you for this invitation. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, I'm excited for this conversation. You know, so what's cool about this is I feel like having the opportunity to just share a conversation with some of the leaders at the organizations that we're doing this amazing work with is such a blessing. So thank you so much for carving out this time. Do you mind if we just hop into this thing? Is that okay with you? Let's go, Kenny. Let's go. Okay. All right. All right. So... If it's all right with you, I wouldn't mind if we took this all the way back to Clear Lake, Texas. That's where you're from, right? Clear Lake is in Houston, Texas, yes. Okay, okay. can we take it back to Clear Lake? Because rumor has it that you declared your major of electrical engineering at the ripe old age of seven. It's true. <laughs> so, so to now see you as the chief information officer at TIBCO, which is a massively successful company that we'll talk about a little bit more here later, it seems like you clearly manifested that vision that you had. As a parent of two, I need some insight as to what was going on in that household. Can you share a little bit more about your childhood? Yes, absolutely. So one of the things I, I just believe is that children are naturally curious. And I think one thing my parents did really well is just foster and nurture that curiosity. So I have a sister um, that's 12 months younger than I, and we couldn't be more different. I went the route of tech. She actually is an entrepreneur. She actually has a fragrance brand and a, Car- a Harlem Candle company. She speaks seven languages and just is an amazing person. Seven languages. Oh, and so goodness. I clearly, like, I can program in seven languages, but she speaks seven languages fluently. And so one of the things that my parents did, like, and it was interesting to see the dichotomy of how they fostered kind of our curiosity. My sister would, my mom would speak Spanish to my sister. Not so much to me, but my, she could see my sister had a propensity and a love for language. When we would get, like, a bike for Christmas, my bike would come unassembled. Hers would be assembled. My dad was like, you can put it together. <laughs> they, they realized, because I love to take things apart and put them back together. I was taking apart TVs, VCRs for young people, VCRs for everything when I was young. But uh, I, would, I would love to like understand how things work. And so they would do things like I started when I was 12. I would actually go away to college every summer to some summer science program. And so they, they, they invested in our interest my sister got to study abroad when she was in high school. 
but they also held us accountable to following through what we started. And so if I went to summer school, even if I was homesick, I was staying and, and just making sure that we explored our interest. And, and I think part of the reason I declared my major so early is that my dad was like, you're going to get a scholarship. It's either going to be in track or it's going to be in academics. So you need to go figure out what path it's going to be. And so I think at that point, I started to, to really just enjoy understanding how things work that were electronic. And I just really pursued uh, my interest in that area. And it, it, it worked out. <laughs> So first off, I just love hearing about the curiosity. What you, what you shared about curiosity and all kids being curious as a parent, that absolutely resonates. And I love how your parents just fostered this curiosity. So you said you got the disassembled bike. What were you thinking when you first got that bike in your sister? I was mad a little bit, but after a while, <laughs> I realized, you know what, we're different and they're raising us to really kind of be our own unique selves and, and really kind of explore the things that were of interest to us. And so we, you know, being 12 months apart, at some point I was just like, this doesn't seem fair. But she also had things that she had to do that I didn't have to, so it was, it was okay. Oh man, well shout out to amazing parents because <laughs> clearly there was a method behind it. And for, for those of y'all who might not cop what you just got done saying and sharing, <laughs> did you say at the age of 12 yeah. you were in college? I got to hear about this. We have no wonder you had to declare your major so early. You were you, you getting ready. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well, so my parents were making some investments, and that was not particularly easy. And so these little summer programs, it started, I was in Houston, and so the first one was at, at Texas Southern University. And so they put aside this money for us to go to this day summer program every summer. And so that cost money. And so they wanted to make sure that if they were going to make that investment, there was two parts. One, we were going to take it seriously and get something out of it. And then two, we were going to follow through and finish it. And so they were willing to do that, but they made it very clear that we were going to be accountable to whatever they made that investment in because we decided on it together. So I decided I wanted to study. And so I was going to finish out that summer. And so I continued to do that literally every summer from, I guess, 12 years on to, to college, to actual college, because all the programs were in college. <laughs> hmm. So You know, there was one other thing, Kenny, I'll tell you that my parents did. It was just really unorthodox. Um, when I realized I loved software development, or I was just interested in software development. And you now, what, what age was this? What age was um, this? This would have been elementary school. I think I was probably 10. They, my mom let me actually participate in a night school at a community college. She sat in the parking lot when I was in school with adults. And I learned like really how to develop, to, to write code, like in a night school at a community college. And she was just like the, the teacher, you know, she met with the teacher first to make sure they thought I had at least the skill set to come into the class and learn with it, that kind of level. And then she just sat in the parking lot and made sure I was safe. But uh, they really, really fostered education, or nurtured education and fostered my curiosity in that manner. So, although I have not met them yet, I am already in love with your parents. I hope they get a chance to listen to this podcast episode because I can only imagine how proud they must be to just see the continuation. So, would love if you could just share a little bit more about your parents. Can you give me some insight as to their roots and what gave them that foresight? to invest in you and your siblings in that kind of way? You know, I, I don't know that it was so, it was intentional, but I don't know that they had some master plan, right? My father grew up in pretty humble beginnings. He's from St. Louis, Missouri, and he was one of uh, five kids. And he uh, actually was a mechanical engineer uh, at Exxon. And he realized the, I call it the benefit of, of, of 
having access to, you know, uh, education. He saw the difference in some of how he and his siblings had matriculated through life and the success that they had was different. And it was absolutely based on the level of education that they were able to obtain. And it changed their opportunities and it certainly changed the trajectory of their lives. And some of them went very different ways. My mother actually had multiple generations of, of, of education, even master's degrees on her side. And so she also just knew the value of education as well. And so I think part of them just coming from two different backgrounds, seeing what opportunities were created, uh, really kind of made sure that they made that investment. And then I think they would both say, and we are, it's a very common, I guess, um, statement, like too much is given, much is required. And both of them had such opportunity at their, their stage of career. I mean, they grew up during, you know, the civil rights movement. They grew up where like they remembered drinking from separate water fountains. And so the fact that they were able to afford me the opportunity to go to a integrated, you know, school or live in a, in a, in a kind of a, an upper middle class community, they felt they were going to hold me accountable to the opportunities that they were providing to me. And they were going to hold themselves accountable to creating, you know, opportunities for others as well. And so they instilled that in me, something I just firmly believe. And I think more than anything, they just wanted to make sure that they made more opportunity for me so I could make more opportunity for others. Mm. So this is a great segue to the next question that I wanted to ask you about, because mm. You attended Spelman. Shout out to Spelman. My grandmother is also a Spelman alum. And you earned your bachelor's in computer science. Also mm -hmm. attended Georgia Tech and earned a bachelor's in electrical engineering. Your mm -hmm. first job, NASA, as a, a computer scientist. You seem to be a master of doing very difficult things. And I really would love if you could share with our listeners um, especially those coming from underselected backgrounds mm -hmm. who might be intimidated by the STEM fields or who may be working a job right now, they want to make a pivot into a tech-related you know, job or, or join the tech industry, but there's just this level of intimidation that surrounds it. Can you give us some thoughts or some insights as to your experience and what gave you the courage to, to step fully into this very technical field? Um. So it's a great question. I don't know if I'd call it courage. I, I think part of it started and just was born out of curiosity. But I will say that I'll, I'll give it. I'll tell you a story about my first CIO job and give you a little sense of kind of how I how how I think. I was literally running a, a large project office, so I was the head of the enterprise program office, and I'd done some really really great projects for the city of Austin where I lived at the time. And another local government agency actually reached out and literally offered me the opportunity at my first CIO job because I was running a large IT project office. And I call this friend of mine and I tell him, like, I don't think I can do like this is like, that's too much responsibility. I'd never had a C-level title before. And he told me, he's like, Ronnie, if the White House called me right now and asked me to be the president of these United States, I would tell them, send me Air Force One. You get, like, you go do it. If they believe you can do it, you do it. You take rocket ships Come when on, they man. take you. Come and on, so, and, and so, like, um, I, I literally, like, I, I set fear aside. And so I don't think of myself as courageous in any way, but I don't let fear stop me. And so when I looked at, you know, at seven years old and you see, you know, my dad is successful because he chose to go into engineering. I saw the resources that it afforded us as a family. I saw that he loved the work that he did. And I saw that it kind of matched my own, like, 
I love to figure out how things work. So I didn't go into it like all courageous. I went into it because I thought it was interesting. I thought it was a field that would create opportunity for myself. I saw that it created a good lifestyle for my family and I wanted to pursue it. Now I'll tell you, 99% of the time I'm the only woman in the room in study when I was studying uh, and hopefully things are different now. When I was at Georgia Tech, I was certainly the only woman and the only black person in the room. And so it, I'm, I got used to kind of stand, like not fitting in and I got kind of comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think if you can get past fear and just face it, I, I, you can overcome things. You just don't even look at it anymore. You just get used to being the only one. Like I get excited when I see somebody that looks like me. Like I don't, I don't need it anymore, but I get it. You know, it's, it's more so a joy, but it's not a requirement that I'm, you know, there's, something similar to me uh, and it's also it's 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 fun and it's unique to stand out so I guess I've leaned into that over time so this is definitely a topic that I want to circle back around and unpack a little bit more later in our conversation one thing that I wanted to ask you about being in a highly technical field is there's often a lot of attrition that comes in these spaces when you talk about very technical degrees very mm -hmm. technical work what was it that you were able to internalize that allowed you to remain resilient, to persevere, stay to stay the course, yep. Yeah. Uh, it's a great question. I think part of that is instilled in me when I told you my, my parents like, we're investing this, you know, couple hundred dollars for you to go to this camp or this, this program, like you're going, you're gonna finish it. And so part of me uh, just, I, I learned to kind of stick through. The other part is I had a community um, of people who did what I did. So I'll, I'll give you a little more insight. So I'm from Clear Lake, and that's actually where Johnson Space Center NASA is, and that's where I kind of learned about the, the Space Center program. I literally had a Sunday school teacher that gave me a scholarship application to, to become what they called a NASA scholar. So I actually went to school to Spelman and Georgia Tech for free on a NASA scholarship, which provided me three years of internship at NASA. So that's actually how I got to be a NASA scholar. And I also say something really cool, like some of these opportunities, like I, I can't even believe they're in my life. I had code actually that was deployed in space because we wrote, I was part of a large team that wrote uh, code to uh, distribute electrical power in the International Space Station. Um, so it was incredible. Some of the best, some of my best experiences yet. So, but what I, what I was um, kind of alluding to is my Spelman sisters that I matriculated through the Spelman and the Georgia Tech program with on this, they call it a dual degree program, are all engineers. And so when we were having days, we were like, we don't know if we want to continue to do it. We would encourage each other. In fact, I have a girlfriend, she just literally, um, this is, she's been doing this for years, but she recently was responsible for repairing the Hubble compute, uh, you know, in space. Like, who fixes computers in space? Uh, but it's a friend of mine who's, part, who's a fellow NASA scholar who we started together back, you know, in the 90s. And so I have, I was fortunate to be able to develop a community of peers and friends who we support each other when things get hard. And so I have to attribute my support system for the, the being able to kind of to, to stay the course because we, we encouraged each other when things got hard. Mm. A, I love how you brought it back around mm -hmm. to the importance mm -hmm. of community and just, just how you got insight into some of these experiences. I mean, I think that is such an important part of taking on any challenge, trying to pursue any type of goal is having that support system in that community. So A, I appreciate you just giving us insight into that. 
B, I would love to be a guest at one of your dinner parties because <laughs> I can only imagine some of the conversations you're like, girl, you know, remember that project on the International Space Station? Girl, let me tell you about this humble project we was working on. <laughs> I would love to be a fly on the wall for some of those I've conversations. I've got a great so, set of friends. Yes, I, yes. Insight to those conversations, that may have to be part two of our okay. podcast episode. So I want to pivot a little bit here because I... In, in doing some research for this conversation, there was there was a, a piece of a data point that may on the surface seem slightly tangential. Mm -hmm. But even for the viewers, they can't see you right now. But what I'm telling y'all viewers is uh, Miss Ryan Johnson is a fashion nova. Okay, she is a fashion <laughs> connoisseur. She has a mustard yellow blazer on, <laughs> just coordinated, dressed to the nines. Okay, I would love to hear about a little bit more about your entrepreneurial spirit because just in looking over your professional journey saw that you founded a company called guidetostyle.com and would love if you could just share what gave you the courage to step out as a founder mm -hmm. in what seems like almost a tangential space yeah, absolutely so again i'm never going to call myself courageous so and, and, and life, in life, things happen. And if you allow the, I'll call it the confluence of things or events to actually create opportunity for you and you don't resist the waves or you know, the currents that are going a different direction, life, life will probably bring you great joy and amazing opportunities. So I was at Intel and I'm going to tell you, when I started at Intel, I, uh, I, it was my dream job. Remember, I declared at seven, probably around 12, 13, I knew I wanted to work at Intel. So I was at Intel uh, in my dream job. And uh, the unfortunate thing is all of my peers there were men. And they were like, I'm a nerd, but like I was a dressy nerd. But like all of them were dudes. And I would like want to go out and like, I don't know what to wear. And I was like, I asked them, I'm like, oh, you can't help me tell me what to wear. So I literally wrote this software to tell myself what to wear. And uh, what I realized, uh, and my boss came to me, he was like, hey, you created this intellectual property while at Intel, it's going to be owned by Intel unless you leave. <laughs> and so I'm like, but I love Intel. I mean, I, I, was, I was literally gonna have an Intel tattoo. Like I loved Intel. Like I had, there was Intel Inside was a campaign that was running back in the day. And I was literally gonna put an Intel Inside campaign, like a tattoo on my shoulder. Glad I didn't do it. But um, I literally decided, I was like, okay, this is the beginning of the dot-com era in the late 90s. I have people telling me that this software I wrote is actually a company and that I don't own that company unless I leave. And so I decided to leave, but again, was encouraged. It was okay. <laughs> Every company, every like dot-com is a millionaire and, <laughs> and Intel will own my software. So I decided to, uh, to, uh, to take the leap and it was a wonderful leap. I'm really, really glad I did it. I got to meet some incredible professionals in the fashion industry as we were working on that initial product. It was a virtual personal shopper. Well, you know, I'm going to give you a little, a little bit of pushback here because I say that's a pretty courageous decision. <laughs> it was also, scary. It was scary. <laughs> but, but also, I, I'm, I'm interested because as you look at your professional and educational background, mm -hmm. if I had to put money on it, as I see the, the NASA, as I see the Intel, the next thing that I'm thinking is not a fashion startup. So, 
So did you feel like it was a huge intellectual jump? Did you feel like it was, you know, a, a big stretch? Or did it just feel like a natural continuation of that curiosity that no, you've spoken it, it, about? That's a great question, Kenny. It actually didn't feel any different. So what we were actually doing is I wrote, um, the software was an expert system. That's a form of artificial intelligence. And it basically processed hundreds of thousands of rules of style and personal preferences. And then it matched it to inventory that existed so that you could actually shop your closet or shop, you know, at the time there weren't a lot of online shopping. And so we were actually helping invent online shopping for, for clothing. But you had to characterize the clothing. Like you have to think about like the sleeve length, the color of it, you know, the, even the, the, the tone of the color, the what's the bust and the waist and the, you know, the hip, you know, so all the measurements of things. And so we literally were doing a clothing classification and a search engine for clothing and then building a set of rules, a rule based basically artificial intelligence engine to tell somebody what to wear. So it was totally like kind of what I did. Mm -hmm. So for, for our listeners who might not have insight to this, can you give me a, a rough estimate as to the time frame of this? So that would have been in 1999 that I started Guided Style. Okay. So for those, because yes. I know I'm these days, <laughs> I know, I know these days folks hop on Amazon and stuff is giving you preferences and it's trying to help you out. But to, to be thinking about this in 1999, this is ahead of the time. This definitely predates Amazon. This yes. <laughs> so I just, I just want to give you a shout out and a kudos because mm -hmm. that's just, it's very cool to hear how that manifested. I think I would have just been showing up to the office mis mismatched and uncoordinated. <laughs> but you said, you know what? There's a solution to this. <laughs> okay, okay. So I would love to talk to you about TIPCO. Okay. I'd love to transition over to TIPCO because first off, it's just a fascinating company. Very cool company, love the mission love the culture. And one of the things that you shared in one of your previous interviews is that you were actually thinking about hanging up, hanging it up. You were thinking about retiring and, you know, uh, settling down. But then this opportunity comes across your desk for TIPCO. Yeah. And would love if you could just share a little bit more insight into how that all unfolded, some of your thought process behind the decision, would love any insight you could provide there. Sure. So since we've already like given my timeline, so I'm 46 years old, and my intention was to retire at 50. Um, and I was living in Texas uh, until I joined TIPCO. And, and frankly, there were the environment related to COVID and all of the social injustice issues that have been happening have been weighing very kind of uh, heavily on my heart. I felt like I was spending a lot of my um, time explaining to people why this community deserve this, deserves this opportunity or why this is unfair. And I got tired of talking and I wanted to walk. And what I remembered about being in, in Atlanta and going to Spelman and to Georgia Tech is when you can aggregate your community, you can make a difference faster. And I felt like most of my energy was being exhausted around explaining and you know talking and not walking. And, and when I looked at what TIPCO was doing for the community, the investments that its leaders were making, the, the, their emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I didn't see it represented where I was, I felt like it was time to do something different. 
And it, so for me, I realized that if I stayed in the community, stayed in another CIO role, stayed doing something that I thought was more impactful, I could have a, a, a message that was more meaningful. So I literally moved from Texas to California during the pandemic, and it's not required because everyone's working from home, but I wanted to be in an environment where I wasn't always explaining why this is wrong or why this is right. I wanted to be around a community of people who understood or valued what I valued and were working on making a difference. And so I found that in TIPCO. I found that in kind of my neighborhood and community here in California. And so it's been so wonderful to not, you know, explain anymore and just work. <laughs> mm. So I think it's super insightful just to see a little bit deeper into your decision-making process here. One of the things that a lot of our listeners as part of the Breakline community are trying to evaluate is, you know, culture fit, alignment with the values of an organization. And I, I particularly was interested to ask you this question because you were coming in at such a senior position. You know, you're a senior vice president at TIPCO, the chief information officer, the company is massively growing. And one of the things that I love that you've shared previously is the impact that Dan Streetman, the CEO of TIPCO had in this decision-making process. So could you give a little bit more insight as to that relationship and what it was like as you were trying to evaluate how you wanted to spend this next chapter of your career? Absolutely. And so one of the things I've learned kind of later in career is that choose your leaders. Uh, in the beginning of career, you're choosing the job, you're trying to get an opportunity, but when you get a chance to kind of arrive at that station in life where you get to choose your leaders, choose them wisely because they set the tone and the culture of a company. They create an environment that not just makes it wonderful to work, but it also can create opportunity for others. And so when I read and learned about what he had done, the work that he has done, his background and coming in from West Point and, and talked to him about, I, told, I remember telling him in my interview, I was like, thank you for your service. He was like, no, there's so many people who serve. People serve in different capacities. His humility like just poured out. Uh, he, I was so moved by his, I would call it humility, his honor, his decency, his care and passion for community and his passion for actually creating opportunity for others. He told me about Breakline actually in my, my first interview. Um, <laughs> and when I looked it up, I got so excited and I realized how like truly, like, he, he's not saying it, those aren't words for Dan, he means it. And so I wanted to be a part of the leadership team that actually cared. And so for me, that's what TIPCO is. And it, it runs Dan's energy and love for community and for helping people create opportunity and even harness the power of data. Like just, it, it is who he is. And it's, it's, a, it's a, just a pleasure, a joy and an honor to get a chance to work with him. And in, in many cases, further his vision. So what I'll tell you is that the, the culture is absolutely a reflection of leadership. And I loved how you just emphasized the importance of choosing a leader as you're thinking about this next step in your professional career. And as, as someone who's had the privilege of getting a chance to meet uh, Dan as well, absolutely could not agree more with your sentiments. Huge champion of, of the work that we're doing here at Breakline and uh, has been from day one. So shout out to, to you as well, Dan Streetman. But thank you for sharing that insight. and. So now we've kind of arrived to the portion of your career where you're a CIO. For folks who don't have a ton of insight into what a chief information officer does, can you give us some insight into your role, your day-to-day, -day, 
things that are top of mind for you as you're trying to steer the direction for your team and your organization? Absolutely. So um, every CIO job is different. This is my third and they've all been vastly different. But in general, what a, a CIO does is they're responsible for the business applications that run the company. So imagine there's, you know, let's say some component of your website infrastructure. There's a component, usually people, you know, we're in business to make money. So we have to make sure that there's financial systems and billing systems that are working. We need to sell. And so there's selling systems or basically sales um, and sales automation tools. There's marketing tools. So there's all these sets of business applications that actually are core to running a business then there obviously is the kind of the technical infrastructure. And so even that infrastructure can be in the cloud. So it's the environments that allow our developers to write code. It's the environments that allow us to distribute that code. It's the environments that, let's say, that allow us to, to be recording. It's the environments that allow them to be on Zoom calls. And so we're responsible for what we call the IT, and it mostly is cloud infrastructure that support the, the actual business of the company. All of those environments, the business applications and our IT infrastructure have to be secured. So we're responsible for securing all of that technology and making sure that only the people who should be accessing it can access it. And so we have a, a group also that's responsible for ensuring security and also ensuring standards are consistent across the board and that we are compliant with any uh, local, local laws or ordinances. Almost every CIO ends up having a, a job they didn't anticipate right now. I'm also leading our return to office initiative, which is also really, really fun. Mm. So would love if you could just share more insight as to some of the leadership lessons that you're already starting to learn at, at, at this senior level. What is it like leading and shepherding uh, the direction of your organization? Can you give us a peek behind the curtain uh, as it to what it's like? It's, it's humbling. If you get something wrong, it is, it's, you, you, uh, you, you're running, your hundreds of people are going the direction you say go in. And if you, you know, if that direction's wrong, it's, uh, it's, it, it's frustrating for a lot of people. And so one of the things that I have learned is to, uh, to kind of slow down, be deliberate, be intentional, and take it seriously. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I mentioned Sunday school, so I'll tell you a little bit more about me here too. I literally call my mother every morning and I pray with her. And we pray that I make the right decisions for my team, for my company, and, and how I, I seek to, to lead them. Um, I, I, I wanna make sure I take these, you know, I take my responsibility as a leader seriously, and I take my responsibility as an opportunity creator for my team seriously too. And so I seek to make sure I'm investing in them, investing in their careers, learning about who they wanna be and giving them the, and sometimes it's the resources or sometimes it's the encouragement to actually continue to pursue that. And so what I think is the, the thing that I've learned, and I guess I've been a CIO almost eight years now, uh, what I've learned since kind of, you know, getting on Air Force One, um, is that I need to, to prepare myself mentally in the mornings to take on that, that responsibility and then to honor it appropriately by investing in the team. Because I don't actually, like I don't, there, I mean, I'm on a keyboard all day, but I don't actually write code anymore. I don't do things that create a work product that make us successful. It's my team that does that. And so I owe them that investment back into to caring and nurturing their careers. And so for me, it's, it's, this is a people thing. You know, I used to think about my job as how much work can I produce. Now I think about how much I can take care of my team so that they can be great producers uh, for, for TIPCO or forever I've worked. I appreciate you sharing that insight. 
into into your daily routine. And you know what's interesting is even in just hearing you share some of your experiences, you can tell that there is so much wisdom that goes into figuring out the way ahead. Like you said, the intentionality of your decisions in the decision-making process. So to hear that um, your mom continues to play a critical <laughs> role in just like keeping you grounded, keeping you humble, giving you the the wisdom and the and the foresight to lead in a very deliberate way. You know, as someone who considers themselves a spiritual person as well, really appreciate you taking the time to share that with us. So as we as we talk about the the future of Tibco, I wanted to ask you a two prong question here. And on one end of the spectrum, would love to hear what you can publicly share. Um, <laughs> one of the things that you're most excited about for the future of the organization. And then on the other end of the spectrum, if there's any challenges that kind of keep you up at night. Yeah, so one of the things that I'm, I'm most excited about is, is, is people. I mean, it's, that's, I'm at that. At the earlier stages of my career, I used to think about like technology and producing. But what, what I'm super excited about is, is uh, I've got a fantastic leadership team. Two of them have just, just joined in the last uh, couple of months. Um, and so we've really rounded out my leadership team. What I'm additionally excited about is we are starting to um, do these monthly series with our next, their next line of team members around uh, helping uh, nurture their careers in ways that most technologists don't spend time on. And so we're working on communication skills. We're working on project management. So I want to get, I want to make sure that they have the whole set of opportunity, not just, I know how to technically do this thing. I want to make sure they know how to be any level of leader that they, you know, would aspire to be. And so um, I'm super excited about the things that we're going to be doing to help grow my team members' careers, to grow them, you know, kind of in, intentionally. Because I, I hear them, I've heard people say, I want to be a CIO. Well, you can't really stay on, you know, you can't stay coding only to be a CIO. You've got to, you know, this, the role is one that partners with business leaders to understand business objectives, turn them into requirements, and then help your team implement those things. And so I want to make sure that they are poised when ready, if they're interested, to actually have the, the, the full range of what a kind of a career in, in IT or in technology can be. And so for me, I'm super excited to continue that work and to really kind of give them the opportunity that I've had. I've, I didn't accidentally kind of get here. People have invested in me throughout my entire career, mentors, leaders, advocates. And so I, I, I want to do kind of that, that same honor. I, I want to honor their investment in me uh, similarly and hopefully pay you know, the dividends that, that I, I desire. <laughs> so in terms, of, in terms of mentorship and professional development, what's the, what's the best piece of wisdom that you've received from a mentor? That is a great one. Uh, oddly, I'm gonna go back to get on Air Force One. Like that was that has been the most powerful thing that. Uh, and it was a friend. Uh, he's, he was older than me, and he's, he'd seen more things than I had. But he, he basically was saying, um, "Stop doubting yourself. If someone's going so far as to give you an opportunity you didn't interview for, they see something in you." And I find that um, that, uh, and I'll kind of try to kind of tie it back to breakline somewhat. When you're entering a new career, when you're doing something you haven't done before and you don't feel like you have the confidence to, 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 to do it because you don't have that direct experience, it's easy to doubt yourself. And so what I heard from my friend when he said, you know, send me Air Force One, was that, look, 
You have what it takes. People see it in you. Opportunities, don't, they don't hand them out like, hope you can do it, kid. No, it's, it's because they see you have the, 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 the DNA or the similar like experience to be successful in that role. And so for me, it's really just get past the fear of, of you know doing something that feels new and take the opportunity and so um, again I never would call it courage I would call it like I use that fear I turn that fear into a level of kind of excitement and fuel to get me as prepared as possible to go do that next thing mm, so for all our listeners <laughs> I hope you, you I hope you taking copious notes because Miss Ronnie Johnson's out here giving a master's class on how to get <laughs> things done so I'm over here getting goosebumps and getting fired up. So I can only imagine when our listeners get a chance to hear this, whether they're in their car or they're on a run or they're in their office, such valuable insight in terms of stepping into opportunity. And I think I may know the answer to this question, (laughs) but I want to ask it anyway. In terms of things like imposter syndrome, have there ever been moments in your career where you didn't necessarily feel like you had the, the, the wherewithal or the talent to step into some of these opportunities? Or is that something where just based off of your upbringing and based off of that mindset that you possessed, that it was not anything that, that necessarily was an issue for you? There is not a day that passes that I don't have imposter syndrome. Like even, <laughs> even, no, even doing this. Even doing this, I was extremely nervous. We talked about before we started. It's not something, you know, I don't think about like my life or my story motivating people. I just try to do what I can do to help people, you know, every day. I don't think about myself as, you know, a CIO. I think about myself as someone who wants to, 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 to give more than I took from this world. And so, yeah, every day, every time I do a thing, every time I presenting in a meeting every time I'm trying to even, you know, set a direction that I know that, you know, strategically changes, you know, what we were doing or requires a big investment. So any, like all major decisions have, you know, potentially consequence if they're done wrong. And so I feel it every day. I feel the weight of it. But I just, you know, as I, we talked about, I, 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 I don't let fear stop me. I want to make sure as I'm prepared, as informed as possible. And then, you know, I, then I lean in. And so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate the honesty there, too, because, you know, some folks would be like, nah, you know, I don't never deal with that stuff, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I hope our listeners are catching all this because it's cool. And I think that's one of the things that I love about what you just shared is regardless of how much success you achieve. There's always going to be that little bit of doubt and there's always going to be, you know, the, the questions of uncertainty around being able to get it done to the way in which you want to get it done. Because I think we all have high standards for ourselves, right? And I know that is something that is a theme across the entire Breakline community is these are folks coming from all types of backgrounds, but the common theme is a demonstrated track record of excellence. And the way that you're able to achieve that is because you have high standards, right? And so just to hear on the other, other side of that, that even if you're continuing to achieve extreme amounts of success, this is just something that you're going to have to navigate, you're going to have to manage, you're going to have to continue to work through, and it's part of the evolution and growth, right? Yeah. And, and let it fuel you. That insecurity can turn into fuel. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, you're getting me fired up over here. <laughs> so on the other end of the spectrum, in terms of TIBCO and just the way ahead, 
Is there anything like when when you lay your head to rest at night? Yes. Are there any challenges that you're like, wow, I you know, I really we need to focus deliberately on this and make sure that we keep our eye on this ball or anything like that for you in your role as the chief information officer? Absolutely. It's information security. There are so many threats um, uh, in the cyber environment. Now that most of our team members are, are working remotely and at home, we find that, you know, personal computer hygiene is very different. Uh, you know, people may let their kid use their computer. People are, you know, potentially using the, you know, work computer for, you know, shopping, whatever else. <laughs> but we, we know that there's, uh, there's, um, there are more threats out there. And we, we know we need to, uh, to continue to monitor and, and get in front of those threats. And so for me, the thing that keeps me up at night is just making sure we've done everything we can do to ensure uh, um, a secure <laughs> uh, work environment for our employees and also for our customers because we have our customers' data and, you know, in our systems. Well, I'll tell you what, as someone from the outside looking in, I have not seen typical in the headlines for anything negative. So y'all doing some y'all doing some <laughs> tight work over there. Y'all doing some tight work. <laughs> cool. Well, so one one additional area that I'd love to ask you about Tipco before we pivot to one of our final questions is if you were talking to, you know, a potential applicant someone who's interested in the organization, what are some things that you would be looking for? And I guess I'll tailor it specifically to the technologist side of the house, because I know it's different across the organization, yeah. but what are some of those traits and attributes that you're looking for as a leader for someone to join your team and to join your organization? Absolutely. Thank you for that question. It is, it's, a, it's a drive. It's a, um, someone who wants to accomplish something and someone that is it's not not there to kind of you know do the job nine to five and it's there to actually accomplish the objective and so i love kind of vision and objective driven people because they ensure we get there people who are kind of just checking in the work those aren't the they're, they're good workers but that's not the kind of culture or employee environment that i i, I like to build uh, the other thing that I think is important is integrity. I, we work in a world in, in software where we're doing new things and sometimes that thing will break something or something didn't work out like we planned. And, you know, if, if someone, I've, I've seen it before where someone does something and it actually, you know, the system goes down and maybe a hundred or 200, sometimes 4,000 people can't do can't access something and it's it's scary. But one of the things that I, I think is super important is, you know, when we mess up or we call it an oopsie, when we have an oopsie, we self-report. We're like, whoops, this is down. We're working on it. We'll fix that. And I've seen t environments where we're, when there's not any kind of integrity built into the culture, people pretend it didn't happen or try to fix it before people know. And sometimes fixing it creates another set of problems. And so uh, for us, especially in the IT realm, having high integrity and really being objective driven uh, really, really makes for, for good IT pros. Um, and it also just makes for fun team members too. And so I also want someone who comes in with some fun, like, uh, we, you know, you're doing tech work all day. Like it needs to, I like to have a good time. I like to be, you know, I can have fun with my team members. And, you know, so I, I definitely want someone lighthearted and, and uh, that just kind of brings a, a joy to, to the work that we do. So I wish our listeners could see you have a huge smile on your face <laughs> as you're sharing this too. So it's not, it's not lip service. This is something I can tell that is an integral part of just great team, great camaraderie. So appreciate you sharing that. And 
One last area that I wanted to dive into, and I know we've talked about this a little bit. I think especially in light of all of the challenges that we faced as a nation last summer with the murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, there have been a lot of conversations around the topic of race, equity, inclusion. You spoke a little bit earlier about what it means to you to be one of one, one of two, one of few in these spaces. Would love for you to share some more insight as to what your hope is for the future as Mm -hmm. we're thinking about the professional spaces that young black, brown children want to enter. What's your hope? What's your word of encouragement? What's your wisdom for all those people who may feel like they're on the outside looking in right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I dream of a world like, you know, most young people, if they didn't, you know, weren't taught it, didn't know that, you know, you know, their grandparents probably had to drink from separate water fountains um, if they were African-American. It's not a, it's not a thing kind of any, anymore that there are separate water fountains. I can't wait for, for it not to be a thing that there's a, a, a black woman CIO. I can't wait to, for it to, to be common and so typical um, that everyone has opportunity. I, I, it is my dream. I don't know how we get there without disrupting the current way we're doing things, but it, it's my hope that, that people get comfortable with sacrificing and making space for others that you know may not look like them to give a, a, a woman an opportunity, to give a person that doesn't, you know, let's just say have the engineering degree but has equivalent experience the you know the opportunity for a first IT role. Like I, I'm I'm hopeful that people are willing to sacrifice some space and opportunity to give people who have never had it some of some of that room, some of that opportunity because over time giving opportunities, I you know I can see my father as an example, him you know, becoming kind of the first person in his family to earn a college degree and actually go and get a master's and become a kind of a leader, an engineering leader at Exxon, you know, produced me. And I'm hoping that I will get a chance to foster and nurture the careers of others. And so when you create opportunity for people who haven't had it before, they almost always give back and give back on a, on a larger scale. And so I'm hopeful that we those of us who are kind of invested in the in the, you know, the, the walk, not just the talk, continue to make a difference so much so that maybe and you know you know in two generations down for me that you know my grand my step a stepdaughter my step granddaughter <laughs> kids um would, would uh, grandchildren would uh, would not even have to think about the time that there was a, a first black woman CIO you know, mm-hmm. to go or it's just not a thing it just really becomes you know it, it's history that we look at but it's not really uh, doesn't it's not what they face every day so I'm hopeful I, I definitely have seen, we've seen strides I feel like this this past year year and a half has really opened more people's eyes to the injustices that are happening and I think that a lot of companies and Tipco is one of them uh, are seeking to be transparent around you know their diversity numbers uh, being bold about their their pledge to to make a difference in this area um, and as we see other companies uh, do do the same. I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll see a difference and opportunity for others in the future. So what, what I think is so impactful about what you just shared is just knowing, and one of my favorite quotes is, 
Martin Luther King, the, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Mm-hmm. And to see, like you said, you, you walk down the story of your father earning that college degree and the impact that it had in your life and now how you've set the bar and, and redefine the possible for your family and those who look up to you as a role model. So I, I really love how you just shared that context with us. And I think one of the things that, that I'm reminded of is it takes people like yourself to step into these roles, to excel, to make it through whatever challenges and adversities that may be going on under the surface that we may never know about in order to create these opportunities. So for that, I just want to say thank you because you are opening the door for so many people to come behind you. And I personally am excited to share this story because sometimes you need to see people who look like you to be able to aspire to these spaces and redefine what's possible. So especially given the highly technical nature of the work that you've done, the road that you've taken to get there. Like, I wish I could just get on a bullhorn and share this story. So I'm excited for that. The other thing that I really wanted to do is just give TIPCO a a kudos here, because I think from an organizational standpoint, you bring up a good point, just the value in accountability, the value in transparency, the value in allocating resources to, to creating solutions. And uh, as someone who has got a chance to see this play out on the other side, being here at Breakline doing the work, we are so thankful to TIPCO because time and time again, they have stepped up to show their dedication in this space. They were founding sponsors of our Apex Vertical. So when we as an organization said, hey, this is a problem we want to get after in terms of increasing access to opportunity for you know, professionals of color, right there, yeah. first in line to support. And so just at an organizational level, so appreciative for the work that is being done to ensure that we're trending positive in these spaces because it's not something that happens accidentally. And it does take a lot of focus. It takes a lot of uh, effort. Uh, and most importantly, it takes a lot of fortitude to, to be able to make that change, that impact. So I'll be remiss if I didn't share that. I'd love to leave you with the last word. Any words of encouragement, any words of wisdom that you want to share with our listeners uh, before we let you get back to it? You know what? Uh, I, uh, in my job at Intel that I started right out of college, this is past my NASA internships, Every day when I walk into our building, um, there was a quote from Robert Noyce, who was one of the co-founders of Intel, and it said, don't be encumbered by history, go out and do something wonderful. Uh, Mm. And it was was meant to be encouragement for, hey, you may have tried to, to build a chip or a computer that didn't work yesterday, go and do it again. But it inspired me beyond, I think, his initial intent that every day start new, start fresh, whatever failure has been behind you, whatever didn't work so great last time, just just you know, bring the optimism and the hope and the faith of a future with you into everything you endeavor and just really yeah, go out and do something wonderful. So I know I said I was going to let you get the last word. You mind if I sneak away the last word? So I can tell that that's something that you've internalized And I actually wanted to finish with a quote that you shared earlier. And you said, 
what I care most about is doing a really kick-ass job. And you mentioned that you say, I might not be a super competitive athlete, but I'm super competitive in my spirit and I wanna be the best to ever do it. And so as someone who has the privilege of, you know, sharing this message with our community, uh, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. And I know, I know you still are taking care of business, but just wow. I mean, deeply inspired by what you've been able to achieve. So many pearls of wisdom that you've shared with our listeners for us to go back and unpack. But most importantly, just appreciative for you to take the time um, out of your very busy schedule, because I know IT does not stop. <laughs> so, so appreciative that you've taken the time to share your words of wisdom with our Breakline community and wishing you and the, the team over at TIBCO nothing but the absolute best in your endeavors. So thank you once again. Thank you. It was an honor. I really appreciate it, Kenny. All right. And for all of our listeners, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we just need you to do one of three things. If you could like, subscribe, or if you really had a good time, we would appreciate if you could leave a review for us in the, uh, in the Apple podcast. It really does help us get the word out, continue to spread the good word. And plus, we just love to hear your feedback on some of the content we're creating. So on that note, this is Kenny Vaughn signing out with Ronnie Johnson at the Breakline HQ. We are wishing you all a blessed and prosperous day. We'll see you again on the high ground.